In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our text is the epistle which you've heard. You may be seated. As you read through the Old Testament, you get an undeniable sense of the glory of God. Perhaps we ought to define what that means kind of quickly here, though. This is the manifestation of God's power, especially his majestic holiness. God's glory is shown at places like the Red Sea, where God looked down upon the army of Pharaoh and in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and threw the army into chaos as the Israelites were able to cross safely in, across the Red Sea. God's glory was shown at Sinai as the smoke and fire enveloped the mountain and the people of Israel were afraid even to hear the voice of God. Isaiah saw the glory of God enter into the temple, and he feared that the holiness of God would destroy him because of his own unholiness. God's glory, though, is properly seen in the Old Covenant, which began at Sinai with the giving of the law. The law of God indeed had a glory that was more than just an appearance. It showed God's holiness in that it outlined a worship life that included rich tapestries, garments, carvings, and all manner of other beauty that the human eye could, hold, could behold. Not only that, but the moral law, which governed the behavior of the Israelites, we know that as the Ten Commandments, also showed the glory of God. Its glory showed a God who was unlike any other God that was to be worshipped by men. This God taught a way of love, built securely on God's desire for man to be fruitful, to be multiplied, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. It gave man the freedom that God bestowed on Adam in the garden. But that law was conditional in its glory. It held out promises that were based on our ability to fulfill the condition in order to get the reward. For instance, God says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Note the promise. God would bless the Israelites in the land that they were about to enter. However, they would only get that blessing if, they obeyed the commandments of God and they walked in his statutes. If they did not fulfill that condition, they would not receive that promise. This is how God's covenant of the law still works with us today. The small catechism explains the Ten Commandments by saying, God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. To receive the grace and blessing of God, 
We must keep the commandments. And if we don't keep the commandments, we do not receive the grace and blessing of God according to the law. Simple enough, I suppose. I'm guessing I can count on one hand or fewer the number of you who have murdered another person, that is, taken a life unjustly. But what does Jesus say about the fifth commandment? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, says Jesus, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The unjust taking of a life receives the same punishment as anger in the heart of the Christian towards his brother. Or take the rich young man in the Gospel of Mark. When he wanted to know how to inherit eternal life, Jesus asked him about his keeping of the commandments, saying, if you would enter into life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments so that you may enter into life. Well, after the young man claimed, well, by golly, I've done that since my youth. Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go, sell all that you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. The problem of the law is now that is more than just conditional. It demands nothing short of perfection from us. And this perfection is always just out of our reach because that is the nature of the law. It demands a perfection that we cannot muster. It has no power to create the ability in us to do what God demands. Or as St. Paul says in another place, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. If we take an honest look at the mirror of the law, we see our sin all the more clearly. We fall short of the glory of God. The ministry of the law, carved in letters on stone at Sinai, as St. Paul, is a ministry of death. But the glory of God has been revealed in a far more lasting glory. For the glory of the covenant of the stone tablets of Sinai has been properly put into its place. It cannot serve as our way to heaven because we cannot fulfill its conditions. But now, that same law, which makes conditional promises to us, shows us that we are not sufficient before God. We are not able to live up to the law's demands. And it also shows us that it is not the only way into heaven. For indeed, it reveals to us a need for a far greater righteousness, the righteousness that is revealed by the Holy Spirit, that that righteousness is now ours by faith in Jesus Christ. And this, dear saints, this glory far outstrips the righteousness that we see at Sinai, for there God came in thunder and cloud and smoke and fire and lightning 
But now we have beheld the glory of Mount Calvary. For there at the cross, Jesus fulfilled the conditions of the law that were required of us, declaring the law's power over when he said, It is finished. This is the true and lasting glory of God, not the thunder of Mount Sinai, but the bleeding and sighing and dying of Christ at Calvary. For here, at the cross of our Lord Jesus, Jesus takes on our sin, our failure to keep the law's perfect standard, and then he turns around and he gives to us his perfect glory and his perfect righteousness. And if that glory is not impressive enough in just that fact, it is worth considering that the stone tablets of the law no longer exist. They've long since been reduced to rubble and dust over the course of human history. And yet, the glory of Christ's death is carved in the very flesh of our Savior. His hands and his feet and his side still bear the scars of his crucifixion. And these remain as tokens of his passion on which we will gaze in wonder in the glory of heaven. This, dear saints, is why the church preaches Christ crucified, following the example of St. Paul in Corinth and of her Lord, who pointed his disciples over and over and over again to his cross and to his passion. This is why the church still sings today, in the cross of Christ I glory, for there, at the cross, the ministry of righteousness far exceeds the ministry of death that is carved in letters on stone. And now, as God tells us in his word, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.